Hello, I'm Lucy, and welcome to Undies On Air. It's a three-part investigative special for She's Out There, Women's Health Tasmania's podcast about sexual and reproductive health. Before we get started, can I ask you a question? Well, I already did, so let me ask you another. Do you want to have a better period? Ooh, another question. Do you want everyone who has a period to have a better period? On this show, we aren't going to talk about periods themselves, but what we are going to talk about is three things that have a huge impact on how we experience our periods. And they are, in no particular order, drum roll please, period poverty, pads and tampons, and the big one, the period taboo. So think of this podcast as a period manifesto for Literowitta Tasmania. We hope you walk away feeling strong, feeling fired up and full of knowledge because you know what? Knowledge is power. So here we go. Part one. I'm sorry to tell you this, but your period has been hijacked. So first, um, I'll ask you just to introduce yourself, maybe say your name and maybe what you're doing with your life. Like, mm. uh, Well, my name is Maggie. Um, I am studying social work currently. I'm studying social work here in Nipaluna. Um, I'm a local um, and I'm very interested in reproductive health. I'm really interested in sexual health. I wanted to ask you something that I guess we don't ask each other very much, which mm. is I wanted to talk to you about your period, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which feels weird to ask. Um, in particular, what was your first period like? Do you remember that happening? And I do. I remember there being so much anticipation. I was um, in my last year of primary school. So maybe 11 or 12, I think, is about the age. I got my period in the middle of the night um, and I didn't tell anyone and I found one of my mum's tampons and I, I used it straight away and it really hurt. <laughs> and it really hurt and I didn't tell them, um, my parents, and taking it out really hurt too because it well, it didn't absorb much at all. It was my... It was just a, a couple of drops of blood. But I remember feeling very um, – maybe – what's that phrase people say when they're anticipating something but it didn't quite happen the way that they wanted it to? Mm. Yeah. So kind of like being like let down? I felt a bit let down, yeah. I didn't get the, the celebration that I thought was um, coming for me. And I also felt really sick in the tummy and sore in a way that I hadn't before because I had my period and I was cramping. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that that's a strong memory of mine. Yeah. Mm. And so did you, like you said, in, it was in the middle of the night um, and you didn't tell anyone. Mm. Did you tell someone the next day? I did. I got home from school. My mum got home from work and um, then... She told my sister as well and my sister gave me a couple of pads and said, you'll work it out. 
<laughs> and I did. I did work it out. Um, they were quite intuitive. I was really happy not to be handed a, a couple of tampons, but there weren't very long conversations about it. Maybe there were some conversations in anticipation, like I will get my period one day, um, chatting about that with my mum. But it wasn't something that I talked to my father about and it wasn't something that I talked to my brother about. Yeah, it was a it was a non-event despite thinking that it was going to be an event. Yeah. At school, the like dominant chat about periods was how gross they were. Mm. And um that's what the that's what the boys at school had to say. Blood and vaginas at the same time. It, it, I guess it it must have just been such a weird thing to get their head around. But it did mean that it, there weren't any other kinds of conversations about periods. It was, it was about how much they sucked and about how much they hurt, that they were gross, that quick, I need a tampon, um, I'm going to stain my jeans, don't let anyone see the blood. That was, that was pretty common, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was probably also reflected by teachers a little bit in that it felt very urgent and private if, if you said to a teacher I have to leave because I'm getting my period you had to whisper you know you, you didn't want anyone else to hear it and it was a it was a very um, quick way to get out of school or go to the toilet or you know no one can argue against the wrath of the bleeding vagina mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. like a kind of um this is an emergency it's yeah. a medical emergency <laughs> and if you ask me any questions about it you'll how dare you yeah <laughs> you will you too will bleed <laughs> <laughs> okay so me and maggie can laugh about it now but what the heck is going on with this terrifying specter of the bloody vagina And what about the silence in her family? What's that about? Why was her period a non-event, a secret? Well, Maggie's not alone. So many of the people we've spoken to in making this podcast had similar stories. Does it have to be this way? To paraphrase the great Lady Gaga, baby, baby, are we born this way? Nobody is born with menstrual shame. Uh, you know, we don't we don't come in already like, oh my god, you know, this is going to happen. Um, it's we we are taught it. That's Jane Bennett. Jane has been working on the issues of menstrual health and natural fertility for over twenty years. She's an educator, a writer, and she set up the Chalice Foundation, which trains people in how to facilitate a positive menstrual culture in schools and communities. Jane has heard from thousands of people with periods from all over the world and she co-wrote a book based on these stories called About Bloody Time. And it's a bloody good read. In it, she found that the menstrual taboo, that sense that a period is something secret, hidden or something dirty, is alive and well in our communities. So she was the perfect person to answer the questions. What is the menstrual taboo? How can you spot it? And why is it a problem? Over to you, Jane. Wow. Uh, I'll try and give a simple answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to um, 
sort of just add a little caveat to start with, is even in one country, you'll find it's different in different communities, different uh, in, in um, you know, in maybe different religious groups or different different um, uh, ethnic groups or or even in different schools. And I've even seen a somewhat in a in a micro sense a different culture in different classes of one school. You know, so uh, and where I think this comes from is um, if we if we see that the the quality of shame as being as underpinning the taboo, shame is very catchy. So if someone comes into a class or a workplace and uh, and there's already a, a culture where we don't talk about that and we're really uncomfortable about that, um, then we tend to go along with that. Um, or if we go into a new, say, a new workplace or a new friendship group um, or we join a new you know, sports group and people are very open and comfortable and there's, you know, there's menstrual products available and there's a policy about what to do if you're having difficulties, um, then for most of us we will naturally relax into that and feel we can be more open. So that's a, sort of an example of the diversity. But how it, how it does manifest is um, an example in healthcare for there's many women report that um, you know they're they're often um, either sort of ignored or fobbed off or their their symptoms are diminished if they go in saying oh my my period pain is just really awful or you know um, I have just such heavy periods and you know I'm really uh, drained and uh, the 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 options they're given seem to be very limited and there's not a, a sort of a deeper exploration unless a woman really pushes that and really is actively seeking uh, proper treatment for herself. So I think, I mean, of course, I'm not, I don't want to um, criticise health practitioners. As far as I understand, uh, in many cases, there's, there's very little education uh, in, let's say, for instance, in uh, medical training, uh, around the menstrual cycle itself and menstrual conditions, so um, you know that that's sort of one of that's another manifestation. Um, uh, so I don't I don't think it's any lack of care, but I think it's a lack of uh, it's just a sign across society uh, that we give little attention to this this field. And many and another sort of on the opposite tack, um, many women and girls. Um, and research bears this out, will where they might, you know, happily go and get treatment if they've got the flu or they've, you know, um, sprained their ankle or broken bone or something like that, um, for a great percentage of women and girls, they're very reluctant to go and get help if they're experiencing menstrual problems because of the attached shame and embarrassment um, and the sense of taboo around and not even having modelling around how do you talk about it? How do you talk about this? And feeling, you know, a, feeling a degree of shame or even that the people they're speaking to um, aren't really trained in being able to be very um, supportive and upfront and, and, and positive in a way that helps elicit those conversations in other people. So that's just a few little examples. 
there's the amazing thing when we were working on about bloody time and the research that went into that, and we had um, nearly uh, three and a half thousand women and girls from 12 to 80 uh, in age, uh, which was just fantastic. And there were so many different stories and incredible diversity. And I've been working in this field for many years, but I was I was still blown away by the range of stories and range of experiences and, and the range of ways that uh, women and girls expressed their experiences, whether it was of the different cultures that they came from, whether it was how they were treated at school, you know, when they got their period or what their what their father or mother or family said. Um, and while, you know, there were, there were certainly positives and there were certainly some amazing stories in that vein, uh, the, the skewing was often toward, uh, the skewing was definitely toward shame, embarrassment, isolation, uh, loss of self-esteem, you know, lack of body confidence, uh, uh, um, emotional, psychological impacts, and so on and so forth. So when you're talking about that, um, the shame, like the body shame, the low self-esteem, the psychological impacts, um, I mean, to me, that's also sounding a lot like some of the other ways that I guess women and girls um, experience, well, patriarchy, sexism as well. Is it, is it, is the menstrual taboo like a key part of sex of the way sexism operates? Um, my personal view is that it's it's like the keystone, you know, it's or the low, you know, or the the foundation stone. It really is the 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 most unconscious, and yet. Um, it really feeds all the others. So if uh, very often, you know, we've had sort of through the, say, let's say just through the 20th century and, and where we are now, um, and the nature of patriarchy is that the, the male body and how the male body functions is elevated. Is that's the norm? That's the that's the normal. That's the the central. Uh, the uh, aspects of the female body, and particularly the menstrual cycle, um, is is the other. You know, so we have this othering of our the way that our body functions. There's aspects of a female body, the sort of conception and pregnancy and birth, that is uh, perhaps generally has a more positive view because it's productive in a patriarchal sense. So if you think about how uh, how menstruation and and reproduction and how it fits with reproduction is taught in schools, I'm, I'm, I'm being very very general, so please forgive me all those people who teach wonderful, <laughs> wonderful courses in schools. But uh, very often it's what I would call the plumbing approach and, uh, and, it, and it's just hooked other than a, there may be a bit of education around pads and tampons but, um, and where to put them, but um, uh, largely it's attached to uh, reproduction. And the way that it works is there, okay, here's the, here's the egg, here's the, the internal structure, uh, here is, um, you know, the, the ovulation, uh, here's the sperm in the egg, there's conception, then we go through all the stages of pregnancy um, and, and birth. Uh, if there isn't a conception, then, uh, you know, the egg disintegrates, this is what happens to the lining of the uterus, and after a certain time, it's then released through the cervix. Okay, there's nothing wrong in that. However, 
given that in the Western world, for the average Western woman, 99.5% of her ovulations will finish in a period. So what about all of that? You know, it's the, it, what is elevated in this is ovulation, conception, pregnancy and birth. That's, the, that's, that's valuable and productive in terms of the patriarchy. Uh, whereas most of what we experience is a menstrual cycle, unless we're using, unless we're having therapy or using um, hormones to uh, eliminate that. But, uh, but naturally, the, the default is the menstrual cycle. So what about that? <laughs> what about understanding the, uh, which we're starting to get some research coming through to show us the value of a regular menstrual cycle and particularly the value of ovulation. Because if, we're ov- if we ovulate, we have progesterone. If we don't ovulate, we don't have progesterone or very, very little. And by having regular progesterone over years, it impacts us for the rest of our lives. It, it is great for our heart health. It's great for our bone health um, and, and really uh, helps make us our health more robust well into our menopausal years. So we're starting to see this research, and that's very much on a physiological level. On, an, on another level, on a, um, on a sort of emotional, psychological level, women who pay attention to their cycle and come to see how they are at different stages of their cycle accept and work with their cycle and the different energies and the different qualities at different times, actually many cases come to really value that and uh, work with these incredible uh, changing and evolving uh, states that they can experience through a cycle, which can become very um, you know, fascinating and also very much to do with our, uh, a, a cycle of creativity a cycle of well-being, uh, rather than oh, this is an annoying thing. I've just got to try and ignore and live with. Um, you know, it's the opposite. To if we if we understand it and it's given respect, and we are, we are given sort of the knowledge and the space to with which to do that and to care for ourselves, then it can be uh, it can be a totally different experience. terms of your period Mm -hmm. like do you still feel like it's gross great question no I don't um and I think it's I'm I think it's really cool I think it's really cool and I have to say that one of the menstrual products out there that really changed my relationship with my period was the menstrual cup because for the first time I was in a way, handling my blood. I got to see it all at once. If I was throwing it away, it was. It felt more thoughtful to do it in the shower or down the toilet and see how red it was. And um, it was a completely different experience of seeing my blood. So how do we normalise menstruation? The, the energy that goes into maintaining that pretense that I'm walking around and I'm not having a menstrual, I'm not pe- having a period, or I'm not, I'm not um, 
you know, at some stage of my menstrual cycle means that there's an enormous amount of anxiety that goes into that. There's very little positive for very, a very small number of people, if that's even so, to perpetuate the, the menstrual taboo. Menstruation would still need to be managed uh, if it was if it was fully normalised, but to be able to be comfortable and there was respect around uh, menstrual needs, it uh, it would just take a lot of the heat out of the out of. It does make a huge difference, and I think normalisation is the key, and it needs to happen in a hundred different ways. You know, in in every environment, in every situation, um, it's far less private now. It doesn't feel taboo to talk to people about. In fact, um, I get quite a kick out of talking to it, talking about it with people, and seeing them. You know, if if it if it if there's a facial reaction that that shows that they're a bit squamish about it, then I'll probably dive deeper because it happens to the ha- half of the people on this earth have like men- menstruating uteruses. Yeah. Okay, you heard it first. Normalize, normalize, normalize. I reckon that's going to look different for different people. Hey, maybe you're like Maggie and your normalizing is being blunt and bolshy and public. Maybe it's taking your hot water bottle to work with you. Maybe it's the radical slash not so radical step of really getting to know your cycle. Whatever it looks like. We wish you a very good period. And if you want more info about periods, did you know that Women's Health Tasmania has a library and health workers who can be a resource on this? A very big thank you, hey, to our guests, Maggie and Jane, for sharing their wisdom and insight, and to Red Thread for letting us use their Flash podcast studio. And a last giant thank you to ex-Nippaluna, now NAM-based musician Pretty in Pink, who let us use her song Hippocrita for free. If you're a musician or if you know musicians, you will know just how generous that is. So pretty in pink, we can't thank you enough. This podcast is made by Women's Health Tasmania. To find out more about us or the Undies Project, which inspired these episodes about menstruation, go to our website, www.womenshealthtas.org.au or find us on Facebook. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Muanina people down in Nipaluna, Hobart. We extend our respect to their elders, past and present, and we acknowledge the Tasmanian Aboriginal people across Lutrawitta, Tasmania, as the ongoing custodians of this land. Always was, always will be.